0: about 10 o'clock in the evening. You've had one of those days, maybe one of those weeks where you're tired and you just want to sit down and, and do nothing, do something sort of mindless. You turn on the television, flip through a few channels. You've seen every one of the how it's Made's this its own and the Mythbusters are in their 27th rerun and finally flip through and there's a Braves game. I watch Braves. It's eighth inning. Teams are starting to change sides, you know, one group's coming into bat, the other group's going out in the field to, to keep them from scoring, and so the television station cuts to a commercial, and it's a Lay's potato chip commercial, Now it's been about five hours since you've eaten supper, and those Lay's potato chips look mighty good. They got that little salty thing going on, you know, you can hear the crunch when you bite them, Yeah? And you think to yourself, you know, that would be bad right about now. And then you think, you know, wait a minute now. I've been watching my weight and I'm trying to eat healthy and I'm trying to, that mess everything up. Now I'll let it go. <clears throat> and then the very next commercial is Burger King. You can smell the Whoppers as they go across the flame, grilled, whatever that thing is. You can taste the French fries, the crunchiness on the outside, the softness on the inside. Just the right amount of salt with a little dip of ketchup, and you're starting to get weak. But you think, I've got it made. And then the next commercial is ice cream, and you know I'm done. I'm in the kitchen and I've got to have something to eat. I don't care what it is, but I've got to have something. And I go in there feeling awful because I know what I'm But, man, that advertising did it to me. I've got to have it. I've got to have something. That's what advertising does for us. Advertising, the purpose of advertising is to get us to do things that we wouldn't necessarily normally want to do or, or buy things that we don't necessarily need or want. But because we see it, we start craving that very thing. But have you noticed there's some things that don't need advertising? Have you heard of the Bears Den in Macon? <laughs> mm, yeah, mm. Why don't you shut up so we can go eat? <laughs> I got a couple of friends I meet every three months or so at the Bears Den. I don't remember seeing too many advertisements for the Bears Den, but it's always packed. It's always packed. Man, I'm telling you, they got country cooking. Just make your eyeballs pop out. place is good. It's really good. But, you know, you think about our own little uh, DQ down the street here. Now, you see some national ads for Dairy Queen, but you go down to, I went, was going to Dairy Queen just yesterday, going to go drive through right quick and get me something, and I ended up at McDonald's because there was a line around the building, there was cars everywhere. I do not have time for all that. You can go in the morning, and I guarantee you, frankly, Frankie Lamb and 15 people are going to be in there eating breakfast on, on uh, any given morning there. You go in the evening and it's packed because in gray, that's sort of our place. You don't have to advertise that. There are certain things in life that don't have to be advertised. They just draw you to them. That's the way Jesus was. That's what happened with Jesus in this story that we read part of just a little bit ago. It comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's read the whole story right quick. It says, On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats, so that when they be, uh, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. No advertising. Jesus didn't need advertising. People knew where to go for the good stuff. When Jesus spoke, the words reached deep inside of people and struck a chord, and you know that now. When you go to Scripture and you read what Jesus said and you stop, I don't mean you're just through to get done reading. I mean you stop and you listen to it. It strikes a chord inside of you that says there's something more here. When Jesus spoke something happened inside of people. It happens inside of people now. They knew if they just wanted to do their religious duty, they could go to church, they could listen to the Pharisees, they could do everything that those folks said, and that'd be all fine, but if they wanted to see God, they'd go see Jesus. So one day, probably fairly early, early in the morning, Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Luke calls it Lake Gennesaret. Look at the scene. Jesus is walking along the sea, walking along towards the shore of the lake, And the further he goes, the more people follow him. He's talking as he goes. And as the crowd begins to build, you know what happens. People in the back say, we can't hear you. What would you say, Jesus? Jesus, could you speak up? More and more people are coming. And finally, Jesus gets to the shore. There's some boats there. Y'all know about lakes, right? (coughs) Excuse me. Where we live, sort of a small cove on Lake Sinclair When it's a still day, no wind, somebody sitting on the other side of the lake can just be talking. And on my side of the lake, I can hear almost every word they've got to say. Sound just sort of carries over the water. So Jesus says, let's get, get into a boat here. And when we get into that boat, I'll get out from the shore a little bit. I'll start talking. It'll be like an amplifier. Everybody will be able to hear what I'm talking about. So Jesus comes walking along. He looks, and on one side, there's Simon, James, John, Zebedee, and a few other people that had been fishing all night long, and it was one of those nights. Now, guys, think about fishing all night long, and I mean fishing all night long. There is one kind of fishing all night long that we do that looks something like this. Um, We got that kind of fishing. This isn't it. This kind of fishing is where they were taking nets and they were throwing the nets down into the water and then they were hauling those nets back and then they'd throw them back out into the water and they'd haul those nets back and they did that all night long. These guys were tired. They were sleepy. All they wanted to do is get their equipment clean, go to the Waffle House and get something for breakfast and then go home and get a nap and that's all they wanted to do and here Jesus comes walking along. Now, Jesus is no stranger to Simon. In fact, Simon has known Jesus for a little while. We want to think that Jesus just walked up to Simon one day and said, follow me, and Simon popped up and off he went. But if you look at the story that that the Bible tells us in John and the story we hear in Luke, we see that there's a little something different that happened with Simon. Do you remember the story about John the Baptist baptizing Jesus? John the Baptist had a disciple by the name of Andrew. Andrew was Simon's brother. And Andrew brought Simon to see Jesus, and that's when Jesus said to him <clears throat> said to him, "From now on I'm calling you Peter. From now on I'm calling you the rock." So no matter where I see you, I'm going to call you the rock. But when you read that scripture, you don't see that they just pop up and follow him right that minute. Some time passes. A little bit of time passes here. He didn't just drop everything. Jesus stays in the region around Simon's house. I suspect that Simon kept up with him some. Maybe he weighed things out. Maybe he still had a living to make. He still had to work. Things that needed to be done. People depended on him. He had a wife because he had a mother-in-law and you can't have a mother. Nobody just goes and gets a (laughs) mother-in-law. You know? So we know he had people depending on him. Now up until this very day on the beach, Simon had just worked hard every day and listened. Now get the picture. These, men's are, these men are cleaning their nets. And here comes Jesus with a crowd of folks. Jesus asked Simon said, "Will you take me out just a little bit? Take me out so I can preach, and everybody can hear me?" Simon knew of Jesus. He had he'd seen some miracles. He had heard him preach. He knew Jesus was a good man. He knew he's a powerful man. He had a lot of respect for Jesus. So tired as he was, he loaded up a couple of his men. They got into the boat. They go out from shore a little way so Jesus can speak to everybody. Then we get to verse 4 and 5, and it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, <laughs> Look, we have toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, folks, these these words aren't spoken in a vacuum. And we look back on all these people. We always see the Pharisees as the bad guys, you know. they, They really weren't the bad guys. They were just church people trying to do what church people do and keep their church the way their church had always been. That's all they were. And we look at the disciples and we always want to make them out to a bunch of illiterate imbeciles that are just sort of almost like Laurel and Hardy kind of bumping into each other kind of guys. They weren't that way. Simon was a hardworking, responsible man. He fished for a living. He took care of his equipment. And when his day was done, he was exhausted. Think with me. Simon had fished all night long. He had caught nothing. He cleaned his nets. He's ready to go. His day is over. It's time to get some rest. And now here Jesus is saying, Hey, bud, let's just toss your nets out in the water one more time. Don't you hear frustration in Simon's voice? It's sort of like Simon saying, Jesus, let me help you understand something, dude. You were a carpenter. You need to stick to the hammer and nail thing. I know about fishing. And I understand how this thing works. i fished all night long. I've tossed that net out 10 million times. There is nothing there right now. I don't know what it is. The moon's wrong. The weather's wrong. Something's wrong. There are no fish in the water tonight. You don't really want to do this, do you? I mean, really. Do you really want to do this? Master, we told all night long it took nothing. You can hear in his voice. And what I want us to see is how Jesus works with us. Simon's just a plain old hardworking guy, family to support, people who depend on him. He had to pay attention to things. He had to know the weather, not just because fish bite better in some weather than others, but because if he gets out on the lake and those little boats they're fishing in and a big storm blows up, he could drown. He had to understand how to repair nets. He had to understand how to repair boats. He had to understand how to sell fish for the best price, how to get to market, how to buy and trade, how to run a business. He was not a flake. He was not an imbecile. He was not this illiterate person that didn't know up from down. Simon was someone who didn't just walk off because some philosopher came up and he happened to like what he said, said, hmm, I think I'll follow him for the rest of my life. He had sense. And he used it. So when he had dealings with Jesus, I think he thought long and hard about what he heard. And I think Jesus respected that. Because if he hadn't, Jesus would have just walked right on by Simon and he didn't walk right on by. I want you to think about this miracle and compare it to all the other miracles that you've ever heard before. Simon balked about tossing those nets back in the water. Simon had no faith that they were going to catch anything. In fact, just the opposite, Simon had all the faith in the world that they were about to mess up his whole day because he's finished. He's done, cleaned up the room. Don't let the kids back in again. Everything's in its place. But because you said so, but because you said so, at your word, I will let down the nets because you said so. Jesus isn't looking for people who are flakes. He's not looking for, we, we, we want to capture religious people with this kind of thinking, you know. He's not looking to take people and turn them into glassy-eyed, never blinking, always smiling, God love you, hallelujah, kind of. That is not his job, that's not what he's after. That's not what he does. Jesus is looking for people like you who are rational-minded people with a good bit of common sense. He wants those rational-minded people who have common sense to watch him very closely, to listen to what he says, to listen to what he does in other people's lives, and then decide, do I follow this man or do I not? And that's what it boils down to. When I see him and I hear him and I see what he teaches, do I follow this man or do I not? And I'm not just talking about salvation here, people. There are things in the Bible that we all know that Jesus said that we should do. The question is, do we follow this man or not? Do we see what he's doing and follow him in this? Or do we decide that it's all good, but I'm not? That's what he's looking. That's what he presents us with. Simon had seen all sorts of things done by Jesus in other folks' lives. But when Jesus spoke to him, and he did what he was told. Jesus did something in his life. Simon got the biggest catch of his life. In fact, I think it was the biggest catch that anybody had ever seen there ever by the way it's spoken of in the scripture here. Simon knew that something was up about this. This isn't a coincidence. The fish didn't just suddenly come back. Something was different, and there was only one variable involved in that whole story that was different. When they were fishing before, Jesus wasn't there. When they're fishing now, Jesus is. It's the only difference. Jesus is waiting for something from us. Not fanaticism, not being here every time the door is open, witnessing to everybody we meet. Jesus wants nothing more than for us to make a reasoned, calculated response on the basis of the available evidence. We've seen what Jesus has done in people's lives. Will I follow him or will I not? He wants you to see what he can do in your life. He knows you've got experience after experience after experience of this is just how life is. This is my lot in life. It's never going to be any different. I'm never going to be more or less. This is what my family has been. This is what my family is going to continue to be. This is just who we are. Jesus is saying to us, let me show you what life can be like. Let me show you what life can be like took Simon a few minutes to sort all this out, didn't he? We read the story, the first thing that we find is the first thing on his mind as he's pulling up these nets is, Lord, don't let my net split. Because if they split, that's money and I'll have to and I'll lose this catch and I'll have to repair and I'll have to. uh, Lord, don't let my net split. And then the second thought is when he gets the other people to come out and help him, his second thought was, Lord, don't let my boat sink. We're out here in the middle of this water. The catch will get away. Somebody's liable to drown. My boat's going to be lost. Don't let that sink. And then the third thing that he thought was, wait a minute. How did this happen? How did this happen? And he realizes, and he falls down at Jesus' knees, and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord It was at that moment that Peter committed himself to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world and he was sinful and he knew he didn't need to have anything to do with Jesus because he was sinful and Jesus wasn't. And it was at that moment that Jesus changed Peter's life. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... Then they left everything and followed him. Now, you can say if you want to that suddenly Peter understood it all, but there wasn't a lot of suddenly to it because Jesus and Peter had been bumping into each other for a long time. But Peter listened and Peter wondered and Peter worked. And one day when he saw Jesus, Peter understood. When he fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus changed his life And ended up changing the world. Do you understand that? Let that sink in for a second. He changed a man's life. Three men's lives. Twelve men's lives. And today your calendar, your calendar is based on that man's birth. Because I said so what's the moral to the story how long has Jesus been showing you who he is and what he is and what he wants you to do for years and years you've been seeing things happen in other people's lives but they don't happen in your life but why not what about your life lady's name was Tilly Bergen Tilly Bergen. Tilly Bergen was raised in Arlington, Texas. She grew up there, got married, had two kids. She and her husband felt a call to go on foreign missions. She went to foreign missions to Korea. Her father reacted much as I would react if Ben or Anna came in and said, or Luke came in and said that they were going to go to you pick picket on, mission, on missions for however many years Jesus has them over there. Father reacted and he said, have you lost your mind? Daddy says to him, "You know what? Why are you going to Korea to teach people how to do church when we need churches right here in Arlington, Texas?" But she went anyway. Her and her husband and her kids and they went to Korea and they stayed as missionaries for 10 years and then they retired and came back to Arlington, Texas. When they got to Arlington, Texas, they joined this is what the coincidence is. They joined the First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church of Arlington. But Tilly couldn't, uh, she couldn't rest because in the back of her, back of her head, her daddy kept talking to her. Why are you going to go to Korea when we need churches right here in Arlington? So she started to pray. She prayed for seven years. Toward the end of that seven years, she got some other women to pray with her. They'd come over to her house. She'd go over to their house. It wasn't not a church organized event. It was Tilly coming up to women saying, listen, I'd like for you to pray with me. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until August the 1st of 1986. They started Mission Arlington. That was 29 years ago. I went and pulled Mission Arlington's fact sheet from 2014 28 years later after their founding of this woman who prayed and got with some other women in in their houses and prayed, 28 years later, they have 349 small group congregations touching 13,000 lives every week. They have seven summer camps every year. They had an Easter egg hunt where they, I wish Laura was in here to hear this. Laura, they had 120,000 Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, 120,000 Easter eggs, 4,182 people. Oh, preacher, that was an Easter egg hunt. And you know what they did? Each person that came individually was told the Easter story. 4,182 people were told the story of Christ's resurrection, either one-on-one or in a very, very small group wasn't a preacher standing up preaching. It was people working. 4,182 people. With all of that, they had 1,492 mission teams come to help them out. They provided $2 million in medical care, $1.5 million in dental care. They provided 9,023 children with every school supply they needed to start their school year out. Oh, Randy, all oh, that's just social action. Mm-hmm. And that social action yielded 1,956 people being baptized. 1,956 people baptized in one year because some lady heard her daddy's voice saying, why not here? And it took her seven years to hear Jesus say what he'd been saying all along why don't you drop your net in Arlington bet you know where I'm going don't you why don't things happen like that in our lives why don't things happen like that in our lives it's verse 5 Simon answered him and said master we told all night long and we took nothing Lord, we've tried everything that you have sent to us. We have been a Southern Baptist church. We've done Southern Baptist Sunday school. We've organized our Sunday school like the conventions told us to organize our Sunday school. We've got outreach leaders. We've got fellowship leaders. We've got teachers. We've got inreach leaders. We've got lists of attendants. We do everything like you said. We've got quarterlies Hi, we've got quarterlies, we've got books that we've studied, we've got all this stuff. We've done Baptist Training Union, we've done discipleship training, we've done training union, we've had short courses, we've had long courses, we've done everything we've given to the American Mission Board or whatever we used to call it then the North American Mission Board and the Foreign Mission Board and now the International Mission Board and we've done all these things and you know what? We're still just who we are. Nothing really seems to work here. This is gray. This is how we are. This is how the community is and it's just always going to be this way and this is where we stop. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus is saying, but at your word, Jesus is saying, let down your nets and he's waiting on us to say. At your word, I'll let down your gnats. Parents, I'm going to deviate from plan just a smidgen here to help you understand something that helps me understand this. If you have never told your children, because I said so, I will go out on a limb and say that your parenting skills need to be brushed up just a little bit. Because you see, there's a time and a place to explain. Let me help you understand, little Johnny. If you put your hand on the stove, it's going to burn your hand, and you'll get. There's a time for that, and there's a time to to look at little Johnny as he's reaching toward the stove and say, "Stop it." He goes, "Why? Because I said so." Step away. And then, if he wants to balk, that's fine. I'll just kill him, and we'll get a new kid. (laughs) We know where they come from. Some of y'all are real good at that. we got a whole bunch of new babies downstairs. (laughs) You see, the thing about this is, is we understand that as a parent. God is our Father, and he's saying, listen, I've explained all of this stuff to you already. This is what needs to be done. Now, when you do it, not because you think something's great's going to happen or you even have faith that it's going to be anything, just do it because I said so. And if you do it because I said so, watch what happens. Watch what happens. You know, there's a lot of place in the Bible that we can put wise. There's a lot of things that that we look at in our lives that look like they'll never change, but we're not the ones in charge. He's the one in charge. And when Jesus steps into things, things start happening. Lives are changed. Our lives are changed. We are never the same again. And you might say to me this morning, Randy, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 12 years old. Nothing has happened in my life and changed in my life. There's one of two things going on. You haven't examined your life very carefully to see how your life is different. Or you did not meet Jesus when you were 12. Because I'm telling you right now, when Jesus comes into our lives, strange things happen. He changes us. He changes those around us. He changes the trajectory of our lives when Jesus comes into our life, What is he asking you to do that your answer needs to be? I don't know what's going to come out of this. I think you're crazy. I think this is crazy. But because you said so, I'm going to do this. What's he asking you this morning? Father, you have said to us over and over again things to do. There's simple stuff. Some of us, you just just tell us to do justice. You tell us to take care of widows and orphans. You tell us to care for each other. Some of it's just simple, common-sense, down-to-earth teaching that you've laid out there for us. You said, do this. Some of it's a little more difficult, Lord. You know, somebody's messed with us a little bit and, and you tell us to forgive them. And I don't want to. I enjoy the grudge. And yet, because you said so, Father, I pray that you speak to each one of us in this congregation this minute. Call to our memories things that you have told us to do that we have not done. Call to our memory those things that we have not done that you told us to do so that we are confronted this moment with, am I going to do it simply because you said so? And Father, I would pray that you'd lift up an army of people in this church that could testify right now that I did that and Jesus has done these things around me. And I'm not bragging that that I was anything in this. He told me to do it. I thought it was nuts. I did it and look at what he's done so that others would be encouraged and their faith would be increased. Help us, Father, to be the church and to do what needs to be done because you said so. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This morning, you're confronted, you're confronted with this. We're all confronted with this. If you have never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, if you're waiting for something special, chances are real good you're not going to get it. Sometimes people have an emotional response when they're confronted with Jesus, and they, they cry, and they have all this stuff, and sometimes... It's a matter of hearing Jesus say to you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You believe or you don't. But if you believe, if you trust, then I'll come into your heart, I'll change your life, I will save your soul, I give you heaven, but I'm giving you life now. You're confronted with that so what are you going to do you're going to do it or you're not this morning if you do that i'd invite you to come forward at our uh, invitation and let me know follow jesus in baptism maybe you're waiting to be baptized today's a great day to uh, to make that movement if you want to join the church you can you got three minutes maybe four you're going to leave here. The world's going to suck in the minute you walk out that door. Things get busy. Take this time to think. Have a quiet time for just a second. What is he asking me to do? What does he asking me to do?